Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about prayer. Today, it's my hope to not wrap up prayer, but to to take what we have learned and learn to apply it, find out where the trouble spots are and return to it later, just like we do with, with everything that we're trying to apply. One of the things that we learned uh, through Jesus' life is He sets the pattern for prayer, probably for the first time in, in our knowledge of humanity, uh, prayer as a continuous mode of friendship. Now, the Old Testament contains many beautiful and magnificent prayers, uh, usually recorded by a king or a prophet uh, on behalf of other people. The Jews tended to view prayer as more as uh, formal uh, recitations and and often were led by by someone else. They did have times of prayer, seasons of prayer, feasts of prayer, uh, and, and certainly most of these are brought together in community. Uh, even the Psalms contain many notations for, for use of group worship rather than private meditation. Now, that's not to say that people didn't pray privately. It just, it just says that we don't really know a whole lot about what that looked like. We, we know that Daniel prayed three times a day, but it doesn't tell us any of his prayers uh, and, and the motivation for the prayers and, and what the goals were of the prayers. In fact, some scholars suggest that Jesus virtually invented private prayer. No one in the Old Testament directly addressed God as Father, whereas Jesus did it 170 times in just the Gospels. The model prayer that He gave deals with stuff, daily stuff, whereas in the Old Testament they're praying for nations and they're praying about defenses and they're praying about armies Jesus prays about food and forgiveness and clothes and forgive you know uh, stuff like debts and how to deal with daily temptations. His own prayer showed a spontaneous com- communion with the Father, and it had no precedent. It didn't make sense as to why them, as the disciples, who were men of education. Yes, they were fishermen and tax collectors and all this, but every Jew as a child would have went through the synagogue schools and had learned, would have learned what it took. And only the best and the brightest would have made it through those schools to become rabbis and teachers. But every kid starts that way. And they were zealous men of faith. These were devout men of Judaism. But as they spent just a little bit of time with Jesus, even early on in His ministry, they watched Him carve out time from His busyness. And they'd watch Him forego sleep. And they would watch Him get away from moments of influence and impact just to pray. And so they would come to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. I mean, they're men of prayer saying to Jesus, Teach us to pray. pray. And, and this word teach is a very interesting word. Uh, it's where we get our word uh, didactic from. Some of you teachers will know didactic teaching. And what, what Jesus is ac- actually being asked of is, is don't teach us the formula or teach us the model. What they're asking for is we want to pray the way you do. We, we want to experience prayer from your 
perspective. And so they're wanting to go further than the formula, and they want to go to the motive, the why. Why do we pray? So many of us inherited a prayer life. Our parents modeled for us a prayer life, or a pastor or a teacher modeled for us. And so really a lot of our praying just kind of, well, this is how I was always taught to pray. Uh, And the truth of the matter is we don't really know why. We don't know what the purpose is. What's the foundation? What are we trying to accomplish in this praying So we hope to follow a formula. And one of the things that I've learned about prayer is that prayer doesn't follow a formula. You followed the formula last time and something worked and you pray according to the exact same formula, this time it might not. One of the greatest examples of that that I find in Scripture is when the prophet Elijah looks at King Ahab. And, you know, I just, I don't know why, maybe it's a flannel graph from when I was a kid, but I just know what the throne room looked like uh, in, in Ahab's uh, chambers. And, and Elijah, just the saloon doors open in the back, and they, I don't know why that's true, but I just picture him. He's got a cowboy hat on too, and I don't know why. But he slings the doors open, and he walks down, and he's got his finger pointed right at the, right at the, uh, at the throne, and Ahab says, ah, oh, the troubler of Israel. And Elijah throws it right back. Oh, you're the troubler of Israel. You and all your fathers, right? And Ahab's like, what? We're going to... What do, you, what do you mean? Well, let's go out to Mount Carmel and I'm going to call fire from heaven. And man, it does. And Ahab, I mean, it, whew, this is a powerful moment in Israeli history. I mean, the whole nation repents and gives their life back to the Lord. And a less known story is when another prophet busts into the chamber of Ahab and says to him, you're the troubler of Israel and points his finger right at the king. And the king puts him into a dungeon and he dies there. I'm sure that Micaiah thought to himself when he was in the bottom of the well, huh, that's not how that was supposed to work. There's no such thing as a formula in prayer. The thing that is important about prayer is the motives. It's the thing that's behind the prayer, the why. That's what the disciples were asking Jesus. Give us the why do you pray this way? And as a follower, I think every follower of Jesus learns that prayer doesn't come naturally to us as it does to Jesus personally. I find prayer hard work. It's not easy. It's certainly not the rejuvenating refuge that it was to Jesus for me. Prayer doesn't come naturally. Prayer is supernatural work. And, and, and I think sometimes we think that prayer, if it's supernatural, it ought to come easy, but it just doesn't. I really struggle finding prayer as a dialogue where I'm exchanging communication with God and it's hard for me not to see it just as a monologue where I'm talking to God wondering if He's listening. You know, when I end the day uh, with my wife and she and I would talk, you know, it's one thing for us to be able to talk about the circumstances and situations of the day and and when I say something, and, and I think I'm funny sometimes, when I say things to her, uh, she will laugh, or she won't. But regardless, I know where she stands, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, I can see it. Uh, there are days where we talk, and, and we can empathize. We can talk each other off the ledge. I can see her expressions, and she can see my expressions. And, 
And, and this becomes then, so when we text, and some of you, you know, text a, a lot, and, and when you text, how many, have you ever, how many of us have ever misread the motivation or the emotion or the intention of a text? Anybody? Yeah, so we decided that's not acceptable. There's lots of ruined relationship as a result of that. I remember one time Donetta, she was giving me some information of the day that was troubling to her. And I said, will, W-E, apostrophe, L-L, fix it? Will fix it? Well, the apostrophe autocorrected, and it said, well, fix it. And we didn't. (laughs) So we now have something called emojis. So if you want to know what I mean by that, or crying face or laughing face, I just don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I want you to know how to, what my emotion was as well, right? Well, we don't get that in prayer. I can pray all day long. I have no idea what God's thinking about what I'm praying, right? It's hard to pray in a dialogue when it's bouncing off the ceiling. So I say something that I think is clever and cute, and I don't know what he thinks about it. Or maybe I do. I, I don't know. So as a training ground, we, this is just some practical advice regarding praying. Go to the Psalms and start praying the Psalms. Psalms are full of prayers that we know God has heard these before. right? He's heard them before and He recorded them for us to read. And, and then maybe make your way over into the New Testament and start praying the prayers of Jesus. We know that those are right prayers. We start practicing just praying the prayers of Jesus. And I don't mean this insulting, but surely we are smart enough to think critically enough to put our own circumstances in the prayers of Scripture. They don't pray them word for word, but you can kind of get the context. One step beyond that, we can... The, the prayers of those that Jesus taught to pray. So we start understanding how prayer works and we start understanding the, the rhythm of it. And the most important thing about prayer is that we're learning the character and nature of God and how He listens and communes back to us. So as I pray, uh, here's how I know that prayer works. I, b- I begin to see my circumstance from a different perspective. Not my circumstance may or may not change, but I begin to see a change in the way I think about it. When I start to pray, I'm usually like Moses, slow of speech and tongue. I mean, my tongue just starts, right? And I'm not talking about in tongues. I'm just, tongues just starts saying stuff. Resitation, memorization, desperation. Our minds are so distracted and cluttered. We have to work through these things. The goal isn't to say words. The goal isn't to have memorized prayers to pray when we eat or when we sleep. The the point of prayer is much deeper than that. And we have to work on getting the character and nature of God in prayer. Prayer is a lot of work. That's the first thing I want us to know. Prayer is a lot of work. If it doesn't come easy to you, it doesn't come easy to any of us. Prayer is a lot of work. The Psalms tell us that One of the prayers is, Lord, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you, right? 
I mean, I know that's poetry. And the word pant doesn't mean, right? The word pant means to be open mouth gasping. I mean, just longing, just this nothing else matters. And I'll be honest with you, my prayer life isn't like that. I don't seek God like that. As the earth longs for the rains, Lord, I need to be in your presence. Well, maybe David's a little dramatic. I don't know, but I don't think most of us would say, yep, that's exactly like my prayer life. I just can't get enough of Him. I see that like God, or that God, like most of us, He cares mainly about being loved, believed, trusted, and honored. And from our perspective, a God that desires to be worshipped uh, seems pretty narcissistic. It seems, it seems pretty, uh, boy, it's really all about you, isn't it? I mean, your way or the highway. And in our regular human lives, we kind of reject people like that. So it's odd for us to think of God demanding worship, demanding to be honored, demanding respect, demanding us to talk to Him. But the truth of the matter is, if God is perfect, if there's no substitute, no alternative, nothing even comparable to Him, and He is complete in and of Himself, if He is perfectly holy with no missing parts, then it would be less of God to expect less from us. You see, so, so if, I, if I demand you to appreciate me, there's lots of reasons why you shouldn't. But God doesn't do, doesn't demand, doesn't command, doesn't expect these things from us because He needs it. He wants it from us because He knows that being in His presence is best for us. It's His love and His goodness that commands it, not His narcissism and His jealousy. If God were less than perfect, then we could say, how dare He? But, but He's not less than perfect. And so it's His goodness that commands us to be near to Him. And unless you realize that it's right, you might, you might be rejecting God. If, if you are praying for His will and you're not convinced that you want to do His will, you might not really appreciate His wisdom. If you want to live for your glory instead of His, you might put His off a little bit because His seems a little bit selfish. It's only because we're comparing Him with our minds, not perfection. So as I persist in prayer, I begin to acknowledge my own humanity. And I recognize a kind of an, an answering partner who takes up the other side of the dialogue. Now it's not like where I pray for a few moments and then God takes a turn talking back to me. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is kind of an internal alter ego representing God's point of view in my spirit. I hear Him in my spirit, right? We hear Him in our spirit. So when I pray and someone's done something dirty to me or hurt my feelings and I want revenge, the longer I spend time in the character and nature of God, this, this prayer partner on the inside of me reminds me of forgiveness. When I start thinking about how dirty somebody's done me or how they've made me look embarrassed or, or less than... I start reminding myself that's probably what I deserve because I've done a lot of, I've hurt people before. I probably am that. And, and God loves me. So then I start thinking about 
forgiveness rather than revenge. When I'm obsessed with my own selfish needs, boy, the longer, I mean, that may be where I pray, God, give me, give me, give me. But the longer I stay in His presence, the more of His character and nature begins to speak back to me and we start thinking about the needs of others. Listen, when you are selfish or when you're in, in a point of need, it doesn't take much for you to go to children's hospital and rock, walk around for a moment. You get a completely different perspective. Prayer's kind of that way. When I'm angry, I'm reminded of Him. When I'm feeling threatened, alone, violated, isolated... And if I stay in His presence long enough, I see Him hanging on the cross. When I feel desperate in this world, and I feel like there's no hope, I see Him coming back. It's like the long, when we pray, when we pour out who we really are, and I don't mean pour into Him, I mean really allow ourselves to be poured out in His presence, He can start filling us up with truth. But if our lives, our spirit, is not tethered to His truth, we can hear whatever we want to hear. There's many people who pray and they hear from God, but it's not tethered in Scripture. And they'll say, well, I think God wants me to... Well, you know what? There's a verse that would say that's not what God wants. Well, I know what He said to me. I understand. So suddenly we realize that we're not talking to ourselves in this inner dialogue, but the Spirit of God is actually praying with me, communicating the will of the Father to me. I've learned to pray in the Spirit, and you cannot learn, we cannot learn to pray in the Spirit by praying over food and sleep. Your countenance and your character doesn't change by praying at mealtimes and bedtimes. We must labor in the work of prayer. And I'm not diminishing this at all, but if you want to be radically transformed by the renewing of your mind in prayer, by praying in the car and in the shower, it's probably not going to happen. Because that's the time that we can carve out. Well, I'm so busy, I just I pray every day in the shower. Well, listen, uh, shower power doesn't transform us to be like Jesus. What, what God does is He actually asks us to carve out parts of our lives into our private prayer closet and commune with God in a place where we are wholly devoted to Him, not driving in traffic. Now, let me encourage you. You should be praying in your car and you should be praying in the shower. There's nothing, in fact, I think the Apostle Paul would say, there's never a time where you shouldn't pray. Those are important times to pray. But we should also make sure that we're carving out time all to ourselves, where we are not distracted by the things of the world. Okay, so, Paul said that since we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit makes utterances for us. I think that works two ways. So there's times when I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit changes my heart as I'm praying and helps me to see it from God's perspective. I also know that there are times where the Holy Spirit takes the very words of the Father Himself and puts them inside of me. Listen to these verses. By the way, let me begin by saying, begin, (laughs) you like that? Uh, Let me begin this next section by saying... uh, 
if you don't have a, a journal or a book that write down stuff, do it over in the margins of somewhere in the front or back. I'm going to give you a lot of references today, and I want you to go back and check me on every one of them, okay? Today, first, we're going to look at Mark chapter 11, verse 24. You will not have time to look all of these up, uh, but even if, you have a, even if you're using a phone or tablet or something, you, it just, we're going to go pretty fast. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Well, that's awesome. I love that verse. 1 John 3, 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Wow, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of Him. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And the last one that we'll talk about today, about this, is John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Man, we love those verses. I mean, those are super powerful verses. Those are verses that say, whatever you want, you get. Now, who doesn't want a God like that, right? Every one of these passages then are tied to conditions of being heard. In my will, in, abide in me, in my words, love the law. These things, over and over and over, we find that being heard is in direct proportion to hearing and obeying. Now, I'm not going to call the Bible a liar, but this hasn't always been my experience where we cry out to God and God just, you know, I, I don't know if He folds His arms and nods His head and grants wishes or maybe He twitches His nose. I'm not sure which one God does, but there's been times in my life where He didn't do either. We scratch our head and we think God doesn't care as a result of His inaction. So, <clears throat> appealing to God's character and appealing to His nature will require that we employ our character and nature as well. So there, there are different types of prayers because there's different types of needs and issues. Different issues require different approaches and at the same time, there's only one goal of prayer. Earlier in the series, we talked about what the definition of prayer is. It's realizing the desperation that we have for the Father. But the, the goal of prayer is something we've not talked about much. And so if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to say. The goal of prayer is this. The goal of prayer is to have the peace and the presence of God. That's, that's it. I mean, it's really simple. Most of us would say the goal of prayer is to get things from God. But that's just not what prayer is. It is the, to have the peace of God and the presence of God. If praying is you giving God your list, it's no wonder that we're not heard. So there are several types of reasons why we would pray. And uh, let, me give you, let me give you four really quickly. Uh, the first two are together, and then the second two are together. The first one is when you already know what to do, right? When you already know what to do. So I know what to do. So, so there's, you know, there's some things you don't have to pray about. One of the things is you don't have to say, Lord, is it your will that I share my faith with people? 
Is it your will that I be uh, compassionate? Is it your will that I forgive? Is it your will that I be faithful? Is it your will? Lord, do you want me to give in to this, this temptation? These are things we never ever have to pray, right? So there are lots of things in Scripture that we know what to do already. So we don't have to say, Lord, if it's your will for me to share my faith, let, you know, a big wind blow by, you know. No, no, it's always God's will for us to do that. We don't have to pray that. Now, I say that to say this. So when I already know what to do, I need to pray for power and for confidence. We find Paul praying this way a ton. Pray that I may have boldness. Pray that I may be confident. Pray that we may have power. Over and over and over, Paul prays for this because Paul knew what God wanted him to do. Now, if you don't know what God wants, if you're waiting for God to give you the revelation of His will osmosisly, or even through prayer, it won't work that way. God has already declared to us what He wants us to do and how He wants us to live. He's given us a huge, huge cheat sheet in order to know what to do. Not only, most of the time, what to do, but how to feel about it. And so, with that in mind, we are far more educated than we are obedient. And so when we know what to do, I would encourage us to do this. We wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, today I know that there's going to be a plethora of opportunities for me to be obedient today. I pray that you give me the courage, the confidence, the words to step into every opportunity with your authority. I can tell you this, that when you do pray that way, you'll recognize the opportunities a lot more often. A lot more often. So when you don't, when you already know what to do, we pray for power. Which leads us to the second one, and there are some times where you don't know what to do. Right? There are circumstantial issues. I don't know what God would have me to do in this situation. In prayers like that, what we're praying for is to place ourselves from God's perspective. So some of the times we're asking God to empower us. Some of the time we're asking to be able to see the situation from His perspective. I don't know what to do. Lord, help me see it from your point of view. There are other times when you are in God's point of view and you can really get a taste of who you are in light of that. Let me, let me tell you, if you are in His presence, you can't help but be somebody who praises Him. His presence and praise go together. So if you're a Christian, I mean, and you're, you, know, you are really walking with the Lord and you find that your prayers don't include praise, you're probably not seeing anything from His perspective but your own. So sometimes, while you're praying from His perspective, you just start telling Him how great He is. It's just a byproduct of a relationship with Him. Praise. And then there's other times where prayer is about you. So when I begin to praise God and I begin to see all that God is capable of, as He's able to do so much more than I'm able to do, I start seeing you. And, and, and I begin to pray that you would be empowered and I pray that you would see your life from His perspective. And I pray that you would be able to see Him high and lifted up and that you would know what His will is for your life. But never in Scripture do I ever find that I'm praying for myself. I don't, I, I don't find it in Scripture. The only times that, that it's ever modeled is when we are praying against temptation or where we're praying from like Paul's perspective was to pray that he would be empowered on their benefit and
I know that there are times of personal prayer and desperation, but often those personal prayers shift to prayers of perspective pretty quick. The problem is, I think, with our prayers that we misunderstand the point of prayer. We make prayer about us, but prayer is actually a bridge that God uses for us to gain access to Him through Christ Jesus and in the Spirit, but it's also a place where He gains access to us. God wants us to know Him. I mean, He wants us to know, not because it's good for God or because He's arrogant. God wants us to know Him because it makes us transformed, makes us better. God wants us to be experts of His ways. In fact, I think of Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3 that says, Call to me. What would we say that is? What, what is that action of calling to God? Anybody want to guess? Yeah, it's praying. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Right? God wants to show us things that we don't know. He also is asking us to call upon Him. But I want you to listen to this verse. It's Psalm 80, verse 4. Psalm 80, verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? So when God doesn't hear us, we chalk that up to neutrality. One of the things that we learn from this verse is that when God answers, He answers. When God doesn't, He doesn't. But we say, well, God, sometimes He does and sometimes He doesn't. Yeah, but here's the thing. Boy, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? God isn't neutral about praying. Because the goal is always His presence and His peace imparted to us. So there are some things that get in the way of our prayer life. That may not stop us from praying, but it stops us from being effective and fervent in our praying. So here's the list. You ready? We're going to go quick. Number one, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a list of verses here that all say the same thing. Psalm 66, 18. I'll let you write down the headings. These are so simple. I'm going to let you do the headings. Okay? Psalm 66, 18. If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not listen to me. Do you hear that? That's as simple as it gets. If I cherish sin. That doesn't say if I sin. It says if I cherish sin, which means if there is sin that I'm defending, if there's sin that I'm excusing, if there are things in my life that I'm justifying, there, Scripture is very, very clear. And you may say, well, you don't know how badly I was hurt or how badly I was wounded. I will never forgive that person. I know what Scripture says about that. That's not excusable. That's sin. When we hold on to things that we excuse because we deserve special treatment. These attitudes and emotions, that's not to mention the activity that we're involved in where we're so incredibly selfish. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 43, you rebelled against the Lord's commandments, that's disobedient, and were arrogant. You came back and wept to the Lord, but He paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Disobedience equals a deaf ear. Sometimes it doesn't seem like God's not listening. Sometimes He's not. Proverbs 28.9 If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. 
Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your sin have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. His face from you, not your face from his. He can see, but he will not listen. Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Now listen, I want you to understand this is, this is John chapter 9, verse 31. This is a very important passage. I've had a few people comment to me about something that was said over the last couple of weeks. And I just want you to hear it from Scripture's point of view. All right, John 9, 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. That's simple. That is so simple to understand. Just because we pray, God is not indebted to us to listen. If we're not focused on being obedient to His will, He's not a genie that we can rub the bottle or rub the book. He's not indebted to us. But He listens to those who are obedient. We live in a world today where we don't understand if God is so gracious, why would we be holy? God is gracious to those that repent. Repentance is walking away from sin to live in obedience to God. God isn't gracious to those who aren't repentant. So we have sins of commission. These are sins we commit. Things that we, that we do that we know we shouldn't. And then there are sins of omission. Sins that, things that we know that we should do that we don't. Now we're really good. Most of us are better at sins of commission. Recognizing, well we might be better too, but recognizing sins of commission than sins of omission. We give ourselves a pass on sins of omission. We omit them. Sins of commission are the things that we do that we shouldn't. Sins of omission, I knew that I shouldn't have done it and I, I should have done it and I didn't do it. I'll do it next time, right? doesn't care near the same guilt. But I want you to understand this. We don't get to judge the severity of disobedience. God draws the line at disobedience at all. So if you want your prayers heard, you need to walk obediently with the Lord. That's not just from one verse. And that's not just from Paul's point of view or Blaine's point of view. Thus saith the Lord. Number two, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, <clears throat> Jesus said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. That's good. Standing, reverence, honor, praying, communicating with God in the synagogues, places of worship, and on the street corners, out with the people. In public. But, Jesus exposes their motivation. That they may be seen by others. Not peace and presence of God, but that they may be seen. Jesus said, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. They might pray in public, 
But what they were looking for was public applause. They got it. But their prayers aren't heard. Number three, James chapter four. That's James chapter four, verse three. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Passions, it's the same word for pleasure or selfishness. So you ask the Lord for something, but you don't get it because you're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking for yourself. Listen, again, very, very important to understand that Jesus, God does not answer selfish prayers. Prayers prayed from your point of view are not heard. Number four, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Praying selfishly, selflessly will eliminate that. Selflessly. You can pray in faith when you pray for God's will, God's presence, or for God's people, in God's will, and in God's timing. Knowing that Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 is when our heart is right, our perspective is right, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine through the, His power that is at work in us. Number five. Make sure you write this one down. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers be not hindered. You hear that, men? You'd better be honoring your wife. If you're not honoring, I would even go a step further to say in the context, the context would speak in marriage. If there's dishonor in your marriage, either verbally, emotionally, sexually, in any way that there's dishonor, you're just sealing heaven off from you. That your prayers be not hindered. You can put your Jesus faces on for everybody else. Nobody knows that there's a problem. Your spouse may not even know that there's a problem. But if there's an issue between husbands and wives, you can forget about your prayers being answered. Men, you better treat your wives like Christ treats the church. Ladies, you better treat your husbands just like you would the Lord. Well, he don't deserve it. Nope, nobody said he did. You don't deserve it either. That's the whole point. Prayer... Your prayer life begins to change. And I will, I will promise you this. This is one of the reasons. You cannot, and I'm, I know it's a pretty negative view of marriage, but I want, I want you to understand marriage is difficult sometimes. It's, it's, it's hard. And sometimes the person you're married to is the enemy. Boy, I mean, this place just seized up like a... This is one of the reasons why Jesus said that we should pray for our enemies. 
those that spitefully use you. Why? Because you can't pray for enemies. If you pray for your enemies, they're not your enemies very long because you begin to see it from God's perspective and your whole perspective changes on your enemies. They're not your enemy anymore. They're, they're, they're opportunities. They're children of God. They're, they're, they're opportunities for peace in God's presence. So why we should pray for enemies? That's why we should pray for our spouse. So much easier to love people that we pray for. That's why God commands us to pray for one another. But I will say this, if you pray from your perspective only, and you're only worried about your own stuff, guess who you fall in love deeper and deeper with? Boy, if you're only praying about your own circumstances, guess who you love more and more and more? Prayer changes us. Number six. This is in Luke chapter 18. We talked about it a little bit last week. I'm only going to talk about it a little bit today. This is the Pharisee and the tax collector. When, when the Pharisee is praying, you remember he stands there at the place of prayer and he, he looks over at all of these people, regular people, and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like these people. I mean, whew, this is awesome. This guy is awesome. He's not like us. But then you have the tax collector who beats his chest and says, God, I mean, this, the Pharisee was a good guy externally. The tax collector was robbing people blind. He's the bad guy. We don't like tax collectors. We never have. But yet the good guy is selfish. And only sees it from his perspective. Thank God that I'm not like these people. The tax collector beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Bible said it was the tax collector's prayer that was heard. Not the Pharisee. This is a very important passage of Scripture because it teaches us that we can become so overconfident in our Christian maturity that we have an inflated view of our holiness and we won't be heard. Number seven, Malachi chapter three. When you hear Malachi chapter three, everybody thinks about tithing. But Jesus was talking there, or God was talking there to them and He said, you have robbed me. But they were living in such a vacuum. They said, how have we robbed you? And He said, because you've withheld your tithes from the storehouse. Test me now in this and see if you won't be obedient to me in your finances and see if I won't answer from heaven. Now you say, well, that's about money. That's true, but listen to Proverbs 21 verse 13. Whosoever stops his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself but shall not be heard. Stinginess is one of the greatest hindrances to a prayer life. The lack of liberality toward the poor and giving to God's work and for God's glory and for God's kingdom. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be put back into your lap? For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So when we see God as the protector and the provider, then we, we appeal to Him as such. So I'm not counting on my pocket to protect me or to provide for me. I'm counting on Him. 
So if I'm counting on my pocket to protect and provide for me, why would I ever pray to Him? He recognizes it. Number eight. Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to listen to this. I'm going to read all four verses. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also, the Lord is the Lord speaking. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, and when distress and anguish come upon you, they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. This is the failure to submit to biblical authority. Biblical teaching, biblical truths, to walk in disobedience. I mean, you think about God saying, hey, here I am, do this. You're not going to do this? Listen, it's not going to work well with you. You think you have a better solution to your life. You think that you know what you ought to be doing. Do it my way or don't come crying to me later. Number nine. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So... If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Mark chapter 11 verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any that your father which also is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. If you're unwilling to forgive or to be forgiven, your prayers will be hindered. The last one, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3, number 10. Son of man, these men have taken idols into their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? In other words, should I hear them? God cannot, will not answer our prayers if there is anything on earth more important to us than His answer. We cannot allow the world and worldly possessions to control us and expect God to hear us. I want to close by giving you some tools in your hand to process, okay? And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to go ahead and turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7. So while you're turning there, let me ask a quick question. How many of you have never sinned in any of these 10 areas? Anybody? Hmm. Let me, let me ask it a little bit more narrowed. How many of you have not sinned in any of these ten areas today? That's what I thought. So, is it any wonder why when we're living our everyday life not thinking much about it, and when we do recognize our need or our temptation or our desperation, and we pray and we wonder why God seems like He doesn't listen and doesn't answer? This is why we must constantly be seeking His presence, constantly be seeking His kingdom, living and praying without ceasing so that our prayers can be heard. Otherwise, it doesn't take me long 
I mean, I'm serious. It does not take me long to move from a place of, God, I'm desperate, to a, I got this. It just doesn't take me long. But if I stayed tethered to His perspective and to His Word, it's a whole lot easier to see the world from His point of view. And now I'm actually asking, not asking for His permission, but I'm giving Him mine to be used of Him for His glory, not my own. It changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. Not just your prayer life, everything. So Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, this is very important because he's, he's, he's coming to the end of the conversation at the, at the very beginning. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. There's twice he says that. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am confident with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is like the epitome of transformation. One of the things that I want you to know, and here's, here's a real quick list, right? Number one, difficulties, circumstances, situations in our life are gifts to us by God. They are the tools that God uses in our life to get our attention, to force us upstream to His perspective. Paul said, the thorn in the flesh that was what? Given to me. It was a gift given to me. Do we want it? No way. But there are some things that Paul learned that he wouldn't have learned without it. Number two, we need to remember what God has already said. Paul said, I'm a such, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the lines here. I'm such a blessed man. God has been so incredibly good to me. He has rescued me. He has redeemed me. He has restored me. He has taught me incredible. I mean, Paul was taught by the Holy Spirit directly in Asia Minor for 18 months. You think this guy couldn't say, I got it. I mean, he comes back to the apostles and teaches them. So he said, in order that I wouldn't become conceited, God gave me a thorn in the flesh because I have been given surpassing great revelations. So what Paul needed to do and was being forced is when he was focused on the thorn in the flesh, he was forced to focus on what God had already said in these great surpassing revelations. It doesn't take me long to walk through the Red Sea and say, God, you are so good to me, and tomorrow He's brought me to the desert to kill me. It doesn't take long. So what I have to do when I'm in the desert and I get thirsty and scared and hungry and wonder if He's listening is I need to be able to remember the Red Sea. So I'm going to write it down. And I'm not great at writing down, so God says, stack stones. Whenever your children, when you see them, your children see them, your great-grandchildren see them, you're going to see stacked stones, you're going to remember God's faithfulness because it's easy to forget. 
So we need to always remember, listen, God was faithful to you yesterday. God has bailed you out of every situation you've ever been in for His glory, not your comfort. He's bailed you out time and time again. And here you are facing another circumstance. You know what He's going to do? What He's always done. Trust Him. Focus on what He's done already. What He hasn't started, He will complete. Number three, continuing to pray means that God is continuing to reveal. Paul said, I had to pray it. And then I had to pray it again. And then I had to pray it again. And every time he prayed, he was learning more about the revelation of God. Learning more about what it means to be Jesus. You pray that the first time, you're saying, this is not nice. This is not good. I don't want this in my life. By the time you get to the third time, you're saying, but you know what? Jesus was nailed to the cross. Who do I think that I am? Number four, listen to God's voice. If Paul hadn't have prayed, even though the answer was no, if Paul hadn't have prayed, he'd have never heard, my grace is sufficient. He'd have never heard it. He'd have missed the answer, which brings us to learning to listen for God's voice. Number five, trust in God's power. His power is made perfect. Right? We need to learn to trust God's power. Power is made perfect. Number six, there is not a circumstance in your life. There is not a scenario. There, there are no issues in your life where you can't honor, worship, and serve God right where you are. Right? You don't worship God out of comfort. You don't worship God out of ease. The Lord said, I delight. Paul said, I delight then in weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses. So when life is difficult, that's just an opportunity to see God's will and God's kingdom come to life in your life. But if you want ease and you want comfort and you want all of your list to be accomplished, you can miss power. You can miss His voice. You can miss His presence. You won't have peace in your life, but you'll love yourself more and more and more. Let's pray together. Lord, I just ask that you'd teach us to pray. I mean, teach us. We want to, we want to not just follow a formula. We want to understand why. We want the intimacy with the Father that you have with the Father. We want the, we want the presence that you have with the Father. We want, we want the oneness, the unity that you have with the Father. So teach us how to have it. And when the circumstances demand difficulty, Lord, I pray that you would help us to delight in weaknesses so that your power could become perfect in our life. So that we'll know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, to see the scenario from your perspective and walk directly into it. And thereby ushering in the kingdom of God into every difficulty. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to be patient with us as we learn. But Lord, please continue to teach us. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.